passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome back to another Baseball America Farm System podcast. I am Kyle Glazer. We are here to break down the Miami Marlins farm system today. And to do that, I am joined by the newest member of the BA staff, Peter Flaherty. Peter took on the Marlins for us this year. He's normally one of our college beat writers, but uh, he was kind enough to take on the system for us and put in the legwork to do the full top 30 prospect ranking. Peter, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. My first Kyle Glazer podcast. I'm fired up. All right, here we go. So, Peter, the Marlins are in sort of an interesting time in the sense that they reached the postseason this past year, their first time reaching the playoffs in a full season since 2003, a definitely a surprising run in a lot of ways. They've had a really good starting rotation for many years now, did not have the offensive firepower to support it. We saw them make some good trades at the deadline going and getting Josh Bell and Jake Berger. And that provided just enough of an offensive boost, as well as Jazz Chisholm getting healthy, Jesus Sanchez getting healthy. And the fact they did it all with Sandy Alcantara, the reigning NL Sang Award winner, limited and, and not pitching as well as he normally does, and then ultimately suffering an injury that required Tommy John's surgery, was kind of miraculous. So in a lot of ways, it was a huge step forward for the organization. But then after the season, Kim Ang, the architect of this playoff team, resigned. Uh, DJ Svilik, their amateur scouting director, was not brought back. We've seen a lot of turnover in the Marlins front office in recent years that continued this offseason, which was surprising given the success they had. Moving forward, what do these departures mean between Aang and Zvilik and, and all the change that's happening in the organization for the long-term outlook of the Marlins? I mean, as you said, <clears throat> excuse me, it was, a, I think, all things considered, a, a very successful regular season and, and even postseason, even though they, they got swept by the Phillies for Miami and in a lot of ways, they were ahead of schedule with where they needed to be. But once the season ended is where everything started to go haywire. Um, as you said, Kim Ng, um, they parted ways. And then uh, DJ Svillick, the scouting director, not brought back. So I, I think that it's kind of to be seen what these changes mean for the system and kind of the ideologies that go into their trades and signings and and even, you know, in the in the draft room what that spells so it'll be interesting to see you know with with who they bring in how how it affects the the organization going forward 
Yeah, and to be clear, the Marlins have not drafted well. That was one of the reasons cited for uh, DJ Svilik not being brought back. But again, what Kim Ang showed was, yes, she came in with a good pitching staff in place, but she and her team did a really, really good job, you know, acquiring Luis Arias. We talked about how important it was for them to use some of that pitching depth to go acquire bats. They did that. Pablo Lopez was great in Minnesota, but Luis Arias was everything the Marlins needed and more. Again, the midseason trade deadline additions of Jake Berger and Josh Bell. So really for the first time in, in recent Marlins history, they actually went out and acquired the right bats. We're far removed from, hey, we're going to trade Christian Yelich and go get Lewis Brinson, Monte Harrison, and Isom Diaz. I mean, they actually went out and acquired good hitters, which is what this organization needed, which made it all the more surprising that Bruce Sherman wanted to make changes that led to Kim Eng's resignation. With that... When you look at this Marlins farm system, we've talked about this has been one of the more underrated organizations at developing starting pitching. They've done it through the draft. They've done it internationally. They've done it through trades. We saw Yuri Perez come up last year, their latest really top caliber arm that, that came up from their system. And the top three prospects in this top 10 are all pitchers. Is it fair to say pitching is once again the strength of the Marlins farm system? I was going to say just how it is at the big league level in at the minor league level, the the pitching depth is exceptional and, and without a doubt the the biggest strength of the organization. Yeah, and again, in the past, there's been a very, very wide gap between the caliber of pitchers and the caliber of hitters in the organization. Is that gap narrow? Is it still wide? You know, where, where does that kind of stack up right now? Just looking at it personally, I think the gap is is decently wide. You know, looking at the arms that they have at the top with Noble Meyer, Thomas White, Max Meyer, and Max Meyer, there's a lot of upside there and and front end of the rotation upside at that. I don't see that equivalent and the position player side with with anything more than perhaps you know a solid big league regular. There's no in just. And just looking through this list, especially in the top 10, there isn't that guy you can kind of point to and say, okay, you know, three to five years from now, five to seven years from now, he's, he's going to be an all-star. Um, I, I don't think that there is that level of excitement on the position player side. Yeah. And again, a lot of that is a product of just how some of their drafts have gone. When you look at the Marlins, some of their first round picks, JJ Blade, Connor Scott, Khalil Watson, all position players who did not pan out. But again, you look at the pitching history, you know, you have Braxton Garrett, who is a first round pick. Trevor Rogers was a first round pick, you know, had some injuries, but was productive when healthy. You add in trades of guys, four guys like Sandy Alcantara and Pablo Lopez as minor leaguers. You have international signings like Eric Perez. Again, they've shown the ability to develop arms from everywhere in the system. Bats has, has been a little trickier. It's been guys they've acquired who are in the major leagues and, and have shown something, or in the case of Brian De La Cruz was cruising up through AAA. He wasn't raw far away. He was, he was ready to go. I want to dive into these pitchers for you. You mentioned Noble Meyer was their first round pick this year. You have Max Meyer, their first round pick a few years ago, had Tommy John surgery. Uh, he's out. Um, you have Thomas White, who is one of the fastest risers in this year's draft class. Take us through the discussion for number one and your conversations with evaluators, both inside and outside the Marlin system. How close was the debate at number one? Was it Noble Meyer over everyone else, or was there actual some decisions to be made? In just conversing with with members of the organization and then outside parties, it was kind of as you said, it was Noble Meyer's one, and here's everyone else, and that more speaks to the ability and upside of Noble Meyer more so than it is 
a knock against someone else like a Thomas White or a Max Meyer. And they're still incredibly high on on White and Meyer. White is obviously a little bit further away than maybe even Noble Meyer um, from the big leagues, at least at this point. Um, but Max obviously has big league experience. He got hurt this year. Should be back to fully healthy by spring training. And he is a power arm that I think I, I know that they're very excited about. And, and I am personally as well. I think they're solid third starter upside with him. And then even if, you know, down the road, they, they decide he's best suited for, for a bullpen role. I think he could be a very effective late inning reliever with that fastball slider combination, especially the slider that he has. So there are three arms at the top that I think that they're very confident about being big time contributor, big time contributors at the major league level. Yeah, you mentioned Noble Meyer again, someone who was widely considered one of the best pitching prospects in the draft, college or high school. Uh, really, second time in, in three or four years, you've had a premium prospect coming out of the Pacific Northwest up in Oregon. Uh, we had Mick Abel a few years ago. And one of the knocks sometimes is the players from the Pacific Northwest are a little more raw than their counterparts from warmer weather states. But the other side of that is sometimes their arms are a little bit fresher. In terms of Noble Meyer, you mentioned he is seen as having that true front of the rotation upside, and I got the same reviews on him coming into the draft as well. But we are talking about a high school right-hander. It's a very, very risky demographic. What does he do well right now, and what are the biggest developmental steps he needs to take as he moves into his first full season next year? Yeah, I mean, right now he's got two-plus, two borderline double-plus pitches in his fastball and slider. Lives in the mid-90s with the heater, but it'll be up to 96 and 97. Uh, pitches from kind of a low to mid three-quarter slot, and he gets a lot of natural arm side run on it. Um, it kind of bears it on the hands of right-handed hitters and, and runs away from left-handed hitters. And then the command, at least in his pro debut, and keep in mind, this is after a full high school season, so you know he might be a little tired at this point. Um, the command was a little scattered, but the sample size, again, was very small. So the his calling card on the secondary front is that plus plus slider it's got a ton of short sharp and horizontal break generates tons of swing and miss both obviously at the high school level and then professionally and then um in as far as its spin rate is concerned it regularly eclipses the the 3000 rpm mark which is well above the major league average so i think in addition to those two offerings i mean he's got an average change up right now maybe a tick below um but i think that it it's easy to dream on what that changeup might be just getting him in a system that's, that's shown its prowess and developing arms and then um, just the sheer upside that he has. So I think that when all is said and done, you're looking at three plus offerings. Um, you get a six foot five right-hander who's, who's a, a slam dunk starter professionally. And then in terms of what, you know, he might need to work on, and this is getting a little nitpicky. Someone actually asked this question in the, the chat a few days ago. Um, directionally, I think he could improve just a little bit. I think it would help clean up and, and further polish the, the command. He falls a little bit towards the first base side. Um, I think just, you know, staying on plane and, and controlling his direction would, um, would, would really help in, improve his strike throwing. Yeah. And again, young pitcher, this is going to be a while. There's no such thing as a, a fast moving high school pitcher. These guys need time to work out the kinks, log innings, really build up, get their third pitch refined, get their command refined. But 
Uh, he certainly has all the ingredients you want to see from, from a high school pitching prospect. And I will say there's some organizations who draft these guys and you immediately go, I don't know about that. Or, Oh, I already feel bad for the kid because this isn't going to work out. I, I think with the Marlins to their credit, anytime you see a pitcher brought into the organization for really from any demographic, you feel pretty good. And again, there's still injuries that that happens. That's pitchers. Max Myers, we talked about, had Tommy John surgery. Jake Eater had Tommy John surgery. He was eventually traded to the White Sox for Jake Berger. Sandy Alcantara had TJ. So again, injuries happen. But but I do think that you have a nice marriage here of a talented player in an organization that has shown it can develop pitching prospects. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's a, a, a very exciting um, combination. And then with Meyer, as you said, where like, you know, right after a player selected regard, whether it's the organization, which he's going to, or, you know, just where the player was selected, there's, it's sometimes and oftentimes met with skepticism, the, the instant reaction and in the follow-up where Meyer was selected and, and where he was picked has been all very positive. So I think it speaks to, speaks to his ability. So we talked about these three pitchers at the top and the lack of maybe impact position players in the system. Ultimately, Xavier Edwards checked in as the highest ranked position player in the Marlins organization. Um, I have a lot of history with him covering him when he was in the Padres org, as well as when he was playing for a team USA in 2019, getting ready to potentially go to the Tokyo Olympics, which ultimately didn't happen. Certainly does some things well. Again, bat to ball skills, smaller guy, uh, can play a fine second base and, 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 has speed and knows how to use it on the bases certainly at no point has projected to be uh, an overly impactful player more of a, a bottom of the order you know speed and contact guy and those guys are valuable but um certainly not typically a guy you would see ranked as the number one position player in an organization unless it's it's an organization that is pretty weak in position players seeing that he is the the top guy in this system I mean, from the outside looking in, is it fair to say that's kind of a reflection of just what the position player crop is in the Marlins organization right now? Yeah, and not to mince words, it it is a little thin. I mean, it was kind of you're looking at Edwards, uh, Nassim Nunez, and then you know Troy Johnson, who wasn't added to the 40 man roster yesterday, who's a a 26 year old first baseman, corner outfielder. It's kind of it's really really thin, and so up at the top, it's kind of like pick your poison. And you mentioned. The bat to ball skills are the calling card. It was a, I think, in an in zone contact rate at the AAA level of ninety one percent. So, double plus bat to ball skills, but there's not a whole lot of impact there. I think his carrying tool is probably his speed. He's a seventy runner, and then an average, an average defender, average arm. Um, I, I think that he's got a chance to be. The hit tool's got a chance to be above average um, at the big league level, just with the bat to ball skills. He'll probably be more of a slash and dash type guy, but. Um, not a, not a premium position, doesn't play a premium position, second base, third base. If they want to even stick him in left field, I think he'd be fine there. But, um, that's, that's kind of the, I mean, he, right now he, he's the leader in the clubhouse, um, in terms of position guys who are prospect eligible still. Yeah. And, and to kind of follow up on that, Nassim Nunez, who checks in as the Marlins number six prospect, he was a futures game MVP award winner this year, was a, a relatively high draft pick, second rounder, came with some pedigree. They did not 
put him on the 40-man roster yesterday. And this is someone they left unprotected for the Rule 5 draft, and he's their number six prospect. So that kind of feeds into the next aspect of this is there's not a lot of depth in this system. When you're talking about guys who are, you know, in the back half of your top 10 or guys who are not getting protected. Um, Troy Johnston, as you mentioned, wasn't protected. He's on the fringes of the top 10 here. So again, you have a crop of three arms at the top you feel pretty good about, but then there's a pretty steep drop off, not just the position players, but it seems like really the, the entire rest of the system, when you're talking about guys who are being exposed to the rule five draft are in the top 10 or on the fringes of the top 10. Yeah, that's a very accurate assessment. Even the guys who were, borderline top 10 players who I was kind of debating a little bit and sticking them in the back end. They were arms as well. And then after about the, the 12 to 13 range, you're kind of like, okay, if it all clicks with this guy, he's got a chance to be effective. There's a lot of, you know, hypothetical and hypotheticals and dreaming on a lot of the tools. There aren't very many guys that you can kind of point to and say, okay, you know, I feel comfortable about him being a solid big league regular one day, whether it's, offensively or on the mound it's kind of like you know you're you're hoping for a lot of these guys to pan out and as you mentioned with Nassim Nunez and Troy Johnson becoming rule five eligible just um I don't want to say it, it decimates the position player side just because it's it's so hard to say that when talking about two players but it thins it out that much more um so I it's going to be really interesting to see what they do this offseason they do have the pitching depth and the pitchers I think are are strong enough where they can potentially where they can potentially move some um, to you know get some get some position guys, but um, they're in a, a very precarious position right now. All right, Peter. So there's more I want to dive into here at the system, including some of these some of these players the Marlins hoped and expected would be impactful for them, uh, but have fallen short of that. I want to dive more into that. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. That's why I use Indeed for our hiring at Baseball America. It allows me to do everything on one website. I get quality candidates. I can schedule them. I can interview them. I can screen them. I can send messages to them all within Indeed. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, 
you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome back to the Marlins Farm System Podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer alongside Peter Flaherty. All right, Peter, before the break, we talked about Noble Myers' promise and potential, the group of three really good arms at the top of the system, and then how it falls off. There's not a lot of very good position players, and just in general, the overall depth falls off pretty steeply. And we addressed this a little bit at the top of the show when we were discussing DJ Svillick not returning as the Marlins scouting director. The Marlins' track record of first-round picks the last few years is, is just very, very, very poor. Again, we talked about Klo Watson, talked about Connor Scott, you know, Cameron Meisner. And one that has really hurt is Jacob Berry. He was selected sixth overall in the draft last year out of LSU, had this long track record of hitting dating back to his early days at University of Arizona. And it, it always stands out when immediately the second a guy goes into pro ball, evaluators start reaching out to us to say, oh, they messed up. And that happened right away with Jacob Berry. And I always try to give guys the benefit of the doubt. It's a long college season. They've had a lot of pressure on them since not just February, but the fall before. So it was it was noticeable, though, how many evaluators were coming out and saying, hey, this does not look good in his pro debut at all. And the numbers bore that out. But again, you want to give it, you know, give them an offseason, get acclimated to pro ball and, and see what happens. And um, there, there's no sugarcoating it. Jacob Berry had a really, really poor first full season this year. Uh, he hit 223 with a 284 on base percentage, 388 slugging percentage between high A and double A, and just did not show tools in any aspect of the game that anyone could get excited about. Um, again, there, there's no sure it. No, didn't hit for average, didn't get on base, didn't hit for power. He's been better in the Arizona Fall League, and, and he does deserve some credit there. But the Fall League pitching is, is certainly not anything anyone would write home about. So you have to take all offensive performances in the Fall League with a very big grain of salt. Based on your discussions with evaluators, particularly outside the Marlin system, what were they seeing? Do they see the problems as fixable? What's the overall assessment now of Jacob Berry after year one? I, I mean, I think at this point, like what you're seeing now, more or less, is kind of what you're you're going to get and, and what's to be expected. And as you were saying, in his first full year and looking for the positives, 
um, it was it was a bit difficult. I think in talking with people within the organization, especially there was promise, especially at the end of the double A season, he had a nice stretch, especially from the right side of the plate, which was interesting. Um, but in just looking at the overall profile right now, they've had him at third base. He played third in the fall league, but in looking at, you know, if he's ever going to be on a big league roster, I, his home is not third base. You're looking at a first baseman DH type, uh, below average hit tool, an average, perhaps a tick above raw power. And he's struggled to get into it in game, which has been, I think, particularly detrimental and then there's there's not really a tool you can look at with him and be like, okay, you know, at least he does this really, really well. This is going to carry him, you know, to a major league roster. Um, it's it's been a really difficult go. And then as again, you alluded to it, it's I think he had a solid showing in the Arizona Fall League. Um, it it's been it was nothing unbelievable, but it was solid and encouraging. Um, he didn't go out there and get completely dice. He showed flashes. Um, and it's, again, it, it, it's almost the, the anti noble Meyer in that when he was selected sixth overall and I wasn't at BA at this point, so I can't really speak on what you guys were getting, but even just as a seemingly outsider at that point, it was kind of like, Whoa, you know, he went sixth overall. And then in, as his first kind of taste of professional baseball began to unfold, it was a lot of, you know, oh boys, and this is going rather interestingly, but it's tough. I got a question in the chat a few days ago about it, and they were more or less asking, you know, what happened. And it's it's really difficult. It he hit 350 as a true freshman at Arizona, 370 as a draft eligible sophomore at LSU with more walks and strikeouts, showed power from both sides of the plate. He was a team USA guy. Like, I mean, I mean, the the simple answer is just baseball is really, really hard. And there's a level of risk associated with every single draft pick, even when you think you've got it right and you think you've got a slam dunk guy. There's always some risk involved, and he's just at, to this point in his career has just seemed like a little bit of a miss. Um, so I'm I'm hoping that he's able to figure it out. Um, but at this point, I think he's um, you know potential off the bench guy at, at the big league level. If you're looking for a silver lining and you raise this point about his right-handed and left-handed splits, one thing that does jump out is he did bat okay from the right side this year. A lot of his struggles were batting left-handed. I mean, just to put in perspective, he got a third, uh, less than a third of as many at-bats right-handed as he did left-handed, and he hit almost the same amount of home runs from that side. His right-handed slash line is actually okay, 275, 335, 17. It's the left-handed slash line that's really, really, really ugly, and that made up the bulk of his ABs this year. Is dropping the left-handed swing an option? Because we do see this sometimes, guys who are switch hitters in air quotes, but very clearly should not actually be switch hitters, and, and maybe they're better off dropping a side. Is that one potential roadmap back to success here? I think that's always an option. I think with switch hitters, there's always going to be a debate, especially if the the splits are are there's that much disparity in the splits. I think when push comes to shove, I don't think there will be, I, I think that they won't be afraid to drop Barry from the left side, especially with the, again, the results from the right side, especially at, at the double a level in the last few weeks of the year, it was really, really encouraging um, to Barry's credit and speaking with evaluators in the organization, 
that was one of the first things that they pointed to when talking about Barry was his end of the season success from the right side. He showed off the power he did in college. It was above average raw. He was, you know, play, putting balls gap to gap. It was kind of the, it was a glimpse of the Jacob Barry that they had, had drafted kind of. Um, so I think that that's certainly an option going forward. Peter, as you put together this top 10, how many other guys would you say were in the mix here? There were, there were probably one or two guys that were really, really in the mix for that ninth or 10th spot. Am I allowed to drop the names or, or, or yeah, go for it. Yeah. Jacob Miller was probably the closest right-handed pitcher. Um, second round pick in 2022 uh the early returns again they were solid for miller he's got an intriguing fastball breaking ball combination um there's a lot of upside there i think that he was probably the closest one and the guy that i went back and forth on most with whether i was going to stick him at 10 or leave him at 11 which is where he's at right now but he's right on the cusp of the top 10 and probably makes his way into it um should nunez go in the rule five draft you mentioned Troy Johnston. He's someone who put up some big numbers this year, older player. But I do remember even two years ago speaking with an evaluator who was watching him at Beloit and said, you know, there's something here. What do the Marlins have in Troy Johnston? Again, they didn't protect him in rule five, which, you know, can let you know what teams think of a player. At the same time, sometimes they dismiss. Fran Mel Reyes was not protected by the Potters in rule five draft. Max Muncy was not protected. Jay Cronenworth was not protected. So there are guys who get left unprotected and surprise even their own organizations. And a lot of times it is older guys who have performed offensively. What is the outlook for Troy Johnston? Just because, again, the production was so loud, there has been interest in the past. What does he project to be, if anything? Yeah, the the production is certainly there. I mean, he's he's on the older side. He's 26 years old. Um, doesn't play a premium position, but the bat is very hard to ignore, especially after what he did lit this year. He led minor league baseball with 116 RBIs between double and triple A. Was particularly excellent at the triple A level in Jacksonville after he struggled in 2022. He slashed 323, 403, 520, 13 doubles, eight home runs, and 33 RBIs. Was really really good. Um, he's got above average bat speed, an aesthetically pleasing operation, at least to me. Um, and he does big time damage to all fields, does a nice job of getting the ball up in the air. And I think that the hit tool is is borderline above average. Um, and then the raw power is is absolutely plus. So it's kind of that, I'd say, typical first base profile with a potential to have a little bit more of an advanced hit tool. Um, and I mean, I think that there's you know, 25 plus home run type upside with him. Um, again, what you're looking at right now with Troy Johnson, by and large, um, minus any mechanical tweaks is what you're going to get. Um, just given his age, his, his build, all of that. So um, I think that, that there's a chance here to be an average big leaguer with Johnston. Again, we've talked about it. This is not a particularly deep system. Is there anyone down in the bottom half, the back 10 that you think might be worth watching? Because every year there are guys who pop up. And again, I look at an organization like this that's so good at developing arms. Is there a pitcher in particular that could spring up? I mean, I mean, after Pablo Lopez was never a top, top prospect. He was on top 30s, but he was never a top, top guy. And, and he exceeded expectations. Zach Gallon, who broke in with the Marlins, did the same. Is there anyone there that you think you know has a chance to maybe pop an arm in particular? 
Yeah, in the top 10, I think you're I I've got my eyes. I'm pretty honed in on Carson Milbrandt, right-handed pitcher. Um, was drafted in the third round in 2022. Um, excellent athlete. He was a standout basketball player. Um, good body at 6'2, 190. Um, he works 94 to 97 with his fastball. It really jumps out of the hand um and plays particularly well in the top half of the strike zone. Um, and then he's his go-to out pitch right now is a, is a breaking ball. It's got big shape, um, ton of sharp and two plane break. And he means his art. He maintains his arm speed really, really well on the pitch. Um, and he throws it and it's effective against both right and left-handed hitters. I think that the key for him though, much like a lot of these guys, especially high school right-handers is going to be developing that third pitch. And he's talked about it at length, both, both in interviews that he's done. And then also in talking to, um, various evaluators in and outside of the system. The key to maximizing that upside is going to be the development of of that third pitch, particularly the changeup. And honestly, in looking at some of the video, um, there were it, he threw it very sparingly, but he turned over a couple of really good ones that got me particularly excited. So there's a ton of upside here. I think he could be a solid middle of the rotation arm if everything pans out. Um, he's the guy that I'm honed in on at least in the top ten, and then someone. I don't know if you want me to go this yeah, route, but give, give, give me someone in the 15 to 30 range, just a name. Oh, beautiful. I've actually got a position guy too. Uh, wow. All right. Here we go. Yeah. Shockingly. But I, Mark Coley from Rhode Island, he was drafted in the 17th round um, this past July. Uh, people within the system are particularly excited about him. And then also I've talked to a couple of officials outside and they were also very impressed with his early returns. Um, in Jupiter this summer, he had 265 with eight doubles, three home runs, stole nine bases. And in looking at him and, and also with who I've spoken with, there are three plus tools. He's got plus raw power that he gets into in games. He's got a plus throwing arm and he's got plus um, he's a plus runner. So very rarely do you have a guy with three solid six tools. And right now he's looking like a hit for where they drafted him, especially. And I think that he's going to stick in center field um, given his athletic chops. And then worst case, he could just slide over to right. But I think in, if you're looking for a deep sleeper in that system, Coley's the guy. Peter, as we look big picture here, again, we saw the Marlins make a surprising run to the postseason this year. A lot of changes. Uh, their owner, Bruce Sherman, had expressed an interest in developing a race type of organization, run it lean, a lot of analytics and and hopefully churn out young talent more, which is also cheaper talent. And to that end, they hired Peter Bendix away from the Rays. He was the Rays GM. He's now uh, the new president for the Marlins. What should we be looking for in the future in terms of of this organization? Is this a team that has a chance to get back to the postseason next year? Is it a fluke run and they're going to need more time to build this farm system up further? I know it's hard to say definitively with how much change is happening in their front office because that's going to affect so, so, so many things, so many of their processes. But just looking at what's in the major leagues and what's in the farm system, just the talent on paper, what's the outlook for this team the next few years? Yeah, I think that first, that's a hire that I know I'm excited about and intrigued with, given how great of a job that he did in Tampa Bay. Um, and then... It, as I kind of uh, alluded to and cited earlier, they were almost a little bit ahead of schedule in getting to the postseason this year. Um, and that's not an indictment on them at all. I just think that, you know, they are so young and 
might lack a ton of depth where um, it was a bit of a bit of a surprising run. So even if they don't get back to the postseason this year, I expect them to be competitive again and not be like the Marlins of the the mid 2010s and, and revert back to that. But I think that they can feel really excited and hopeful, especially about the pitching depth that they have coming up. And also at the big league level, they're going to get an impact arm back in Max Meyer. And then in talking through these guys that, you know, are a little bit further away, um, but they can still um, have that to look forward to. I think that a big key, though, is going to be acquiring depth on the position player side. And then similar to what Kim Ng did, acquiring impact bats, um, both at the big league level and then also um, as far as prospects go. So I'm, I'm very excited and, and think that he'll do a great job. Absolutely. We'll see what unfolds here as uh, the first offseason under new president of baseball operations, Peter Bendix, gets underway. In the meantime, Peter, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you lending us your insight and analysis. Thanks for having me. All right, everyone. That'll do it for another Baseball America Farm System podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Peter Flaherty, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Have a good one. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.